Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Aaron Elmore. I'm the lead pastor here at the Kirk, and we are continuing this morning in our series called Intended for Good, and we have arrived at the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now, if you have been in the Christian community very long, you may be familiar with Joseph's story. You may be familiar with this particular part of his story. I would imagine if you have heard a sermon on this text before, uh, that sermon was probably primarily about how to avoid sexual temptation. Now, that's an important sermon. You all should know by now that that's not one that I shy away from. I've preached very forthrightly about that topic a number of times in the eight years so far that I've been here, but that's not the sermon that I want to preach today. I want to preach a different sermon because I think that this story is about more than that. I think there's actually a deeper layer. I think it's about more than just seduction and temptation. It's about more than just one human being tempting another. It's actually a story about a person in a position of power abusing that power for selfish gain to try to satisfy their own desires at the expense of another. It's a story about power. Now, this can be missed very easily because in this story, the traditional gender roles that we historically would see this kind of scenario play out in have been reversed But it's more than just a story about two people who are attracted to each other and saying no uh, to sin and sexual temptation. It's a story about the use of power. And we actually see this theme show up a number of places throughout Joseph's story. It's a reoccurring theme. Because in this story, the person in power is Potiphar's wife. And Joseph is actually a young man at this time. uh, And he is a slave in her household. And so the broader theme here is sinful humans wrestling with the appropriate use of power. Now, before you write off the sermon and you say, well, I'm not in a position of power. I don't have power. I'm not a person in authority. I'm not a CEO of a company. I'm not an elected leader or official, so I don't have power. This sermon's not for me. I want to suggest to you that every single one of us has power. You may not think of it in those terms, but you have power influence. You have relationships. You have resources. You have more power than you realize. Every single human being on planet earth has been given a certain measure of power from God. And the question is, if we will use that power, that authority, that influence for good, or if we will use it for evil. Again, as I mentioned to you, this is played out already in Joseph's story. I didn't have time last week in my mercifully short 20-minute sermon outside in the heat. Uh, But this theme shows up even at the beginning with the brothers. They're using their power and their influence. They're trying to manipulate the circumstances and the situation for their good and not, certainly, for their brothers. They intend it for evil and harm. And so Potiphar's wife is one figure in this story, like all human stories, who uses her authority, her influence, her power to serve her own needs rather than the needs of others. I want to suggest to you that this story asks a very profound human question. 
and that we must all ask this question of ourselves, and that is, are you more of a giver or a taker? A giver or a taker? The truth is, we're all both, right? We all give, we all take, but what is the general trajectory of our life? What is our focus? Are we primarily people who are seeking the good of others, or are we primarily self-interested? It's a struggle that we all have. And we will use our power and influence that we all have. If we are takers, we will use it. We will use people to accomplish our own ends, to get our own desires fulfilled selfishly. But if we're givers, we will take what God has given us and we will leverage it for the sake of others. This is the challenge for all Jesus followers. Because Joseph is an example for us, a decent example. He wasn't perfect. He didn't do things right all the time. But in the story, he emerges as a person who gains influence and authority, and he uses it to bless other people. In contrast to many other people in his storyline, including here, who use their power to try to selfishly satisfy their own desires. Joseph points forward to the ultimate example of Jesus Christ. That's where we begin in week one. He's a prefigure. And this way, he shows us what it looks like to leverage our power for the sake of others because Jesus is clearly the ultimate example of that. Who took all authority, who took his power, and he leveraged it for the sake of the least and the lost, which is all of us, right? Amen? He did it for us. So, today we're going to look at the temptation to use power for evil, the opportunity to use power for good, and finally we'll see the power of God's presence to accomplish His will. We're going to see that ultimately God is in control and that though we as human beings don't leverage our power accurately, we intend all kinds of evil things, we can see that God is behind the scenes. Somehow He's working it all together into a plan that will take us for good. And so it's good that God has all ultimate power and authority. But yet, He gives us the stewardship, the management of power. So first we see an example of the temptation to use power for evil. In this section, we're getting up to speed on what's been going on in our main character, Joseph, since the end of chapter 37, where we left off last week. He's been sold by his brothers to Midianite traders, who in turn sold him to one of Pharaoh's officials named Potiphar, who was a man of great influence. He was the captain of the guard. Now, Joseph's been living in this man's household as a slave. He's been doing a pretty good job. Uh, He has the favor of his master, who could recognize the divine favor that was on Joseph's life, and he's promoted him to a position of leadership among those serving in the house. But then a new figure enters the story, and that is Potiphar's wife. And the text tells us that she took notice of him. She was attracted to him, and in a very straightforward way, there's no way to beat around the bush on this, she tells Joseph, hey, you're going to sleep with me. That's basically the language that it reads. Lie with me twice, she says. It's actually a command in the original language. It's an imperative. This is not an ask. This is, not, this is a coercion. You are going to lie with me. And Joseph refuses. He vocalizes this uh, refusal on two ideals. He argues, first of all, that his master has been good to him and has shown him favor, and therefore he's not going to do this uh, to him. But more importantly, he says, to do so would be a sin against God. And I'm not going to have anything to do with that. It would be a wicked thing. Now, she's forceful. She's relentless. It says she spoke to him day after day. She doesn't ask. She tells him what, what she wants. 
And when Joseph refuses her advances, Joseph, uh, Potiphar's wife seizes the opportunity to get revenge. She gets mad because he will not give her what she wants. And so she fabricates a story to try to get back at him, a very elaborate false accusation. So first she blames Joseph, but also if you notice this, she blames her husband for bringing this servant into the home. Verse 17, it says, then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us into this house made sport of me. Later she said, this is how, what slave? Your slave treated me. And this is what we do as humans. When we don't get our way, we don't play nice, we blame other people. We look to anybody. It's Adam and Eve. She made me do it. He made me do it. The snake made me do it. We've been blaming other people for our sins since the beginning of time, and we continue to do that. When we don't get our way in the power struggle, we blame anybody and everybody except ourselves. So first she blames. Then she belittles. This is very subtle in the text. Her language shifts from when she calls. First she's telling the story to the other slaves in the household. And she says, that Hebrew made sport of me. It would be, the, the, the term here would be like, that Hebrew fellow, that Hebrew guy. But then when she goes and tells the story to her husband, she says, that Hebrew slave. It's different language. She shifts the language. And I think what she's doing here is she's trying to exert her authority and prove that she is better than he is. And that's, again, what we do when we don't get our way in life, is that whoever it is that's standing in our way that is opposed to us, we try to make them the other. And we use language, we use adjectives, we describe them as a person that we see, well, we're better than them. Well, it's, that's a, that uneducated person, that person that dresses a certain way, that lives in a certain part of town. Or maybe it's somebody we perceive that is higher on the socioeconomic protocol than we are. And we'll say, well, that entitled person or that rich person or that snooty person. Whatever the situation, we have this way where when we don't get our way, we try to make the other person look less than we are. And this is what she does in this scenario. If she can't get what she wants out of him, then basically she tries to prove that she doesn't need him anyway. He's below her. So Potiphar's wife represents for us a common manifestation of our fallen condition. We use our power and our influence for selfish gain and often even for evil. But true life is found in becoming a more accurate reflection of our Creator. Again, we started with this question, are we givers or are we takers? Well, we were created by God who is the ultimate giver who has given us the best, who created because he's a God who gives of himself and his love, who gave us his son Jesus Christ because he is a giver, and yet we don't accurately reflect that God and we become takers. But if we would become more accurately a reflection of of who we represent, we would become a people who give. So rather than giving in the temptation to use our power for evil, we need to seize the opportunity to use our power for good. So Joseph in this situation does the right thing, but he's falsely accused and he ends up in prison. Now some scholars will note that Potiphar probably didn't actually believe the story because if he had, he would have had Joseph executed. That would have been the normal punishment in a similar situation. And we're also told that he puts Joseph in what's called the king's prison. Now it's still prison, and it's not glamorous, but that was where they would put political prisoners. Now, why does he end up there? Well, maybe it's because of the favor of 
Potiphar, but I think even more than that, it's the favor of God that though he ends up in prison, and that doesn't look like a nice place to be, I've never been there, but wouldn't want to be there, but it's a strategic place for Joseph to be because in this prison, he ends up interacting with some very important people. Again, God is working this theme that even though things are bad and they're intended for harm, God has a way of working them out to be for good. But from a human perspective, Joseph is still in prison even though in this situation he did nothing wrong. He was falsely accused. Well, that's how life is sometimes. Yes, sometimes we do the right thing. We stand up for the right thing and we get blamed anyway. Now, here's a silly example, but you could probably all remember a time when you were in school and you got blamed for something that somebody else did. You remember that happening? Like, the kid next to you in class was talking. That was probably me. Uh, They were talking, but you got blamed for it. The teacher was, you know, doing something else and distracted, but they thought they heard your voice and showed you got your name on the board or your check mark or whatever they're doing. I don't know what they're doing these days. But um, you got in trouble for it. And you remember that feeling as a kid of injustice, like, I didn't do this. But you try to magnify that and the scenarios get more complicated and sometimes in life we feel like we're doing the right thing, but yet it doesn't feel like it's working out for us. Sometimes doing the right thing is is not the fast track to success in business and relationships because we're going against human nature. Sometimes we end up facing consequences even though we do the right thing. Now this is where our doctrine of salvation by grace alone can be challenged. I think we find out whenever injustice happens that a lot of times we're secretly operating based on a work salvation. Even though we, don't, we know we're saved by grace, bad things happen to us, hardship comes into our life, and we go, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I've done all the right things. Look at Joseph. He was, he was a faithful member of his family, and what did his brothers do? They, they betrayed him. So then he ends up in this house, and he's trying to do the right thing. And where does it end him? Land him in prison. You can think of so many examples. In fact, a lot of times... Doing the right thing doesn't end up looking very good in the short run. Look at the apostles. Look at Paul. Paul came and preached good news and he ended up in jail. Jesus was perfect and we put him to death. So the truth is sometimes doing the right thing ends up costing us. We have to believe several things are true in those moments. So in Joseph sitting here in prison, I think there's a couple of truths that he has to cling to because he, he, has, he is facing injustice in his life. The first truth is this, and that is that God's name is honored by those who do what is right. It's always the right thing to do the right thing, even if it costs us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So they did it to the prophets, they did it to Jesus. Now that was all written, of course, after Joseph doesn't have that perspective. But we can have that perspective. We can know that when we do the right thing, even if we end up having consequences, even if we're misunderstood, even if we're rejected, we can know that we are honoring the name of God. And that's what Joseph had to cling to. I'm in prison, 
but I have done the right thing. I know that I have done no wrong. He had that to hold on to in his conscience. Second, we hold to the truth that God shapes the character of those who do what is right. We know that God is shaping Joseph's character. He's preparing him for a season later in his life when he will have incredible influence. But God knows that that Joseph has to have the character before he gets to that place of influence. Otherwise, he will use his influence and his power for evil and not for good. And this is what we see happening in our world all the time. This is why I wanted to preach this lens of the politics of power, which I think is definitely evident in this story and that's because I think today in our world we value competency over character in leadership we we want somebody who will get results who will get the job done things that look successful from the world's eyes we value it over character but a character eventually catches up with you no matter who you are no matter what position you're in the lid on your influence of other people will be your character You can hide it for a season, but eventually it comes out. Your ability to use your influence for good will come first and primarily from being a person of character, from doing what is right. And yet we praise leaders of horrible character because they get results and they get the job done. I don't think it's right. I think character is primary. Because leadership is influence. And this is the way, in this way, we're called to be leaders. We're all called to influence other people. That's the nature of discipleship. I think that we are called to influence other people in their relationship with the Lord. That's the, that's the nature of discipleship. Help other people to follow Jesus as we follow Jesus. And we all have influence. And this task of gospel influence is so huge that we're all called to it. I, I love that the ministry we're highlighting is influencers. I think in a way that's an accurate word for all of of us who are Jesus followers. This task of being influencers. You have influence. Students, you have influence not just in your school. You guys have influence in the lives of your parents. You don't even realize it. You have the ability to bring good into their life, to encourage them, to support them as they're trying to help you to come alongside them. You can bring good into their life or harm just as they have the same ability. You have influence in the lives, not just your peers, but even of grown-ups, even of this church. You have influence. You can use that for good. And it's both a great privilege and a responsibility. The third truth I think we all need to cling to is that God shows his power through those who do what is right. He shows his power. The end result of this imprisonment is that it puts Joseph in a position to move closer to an opportunity of being on Pharaoh's court, to put him in a place where he can use his good, he can operate out of place of character to be in an important position of leadership at a critical time in the world. But let's be careful how we read this story. I think a lot of people read stories like Joseph's in the Bible and they say, you know what, Joseph was a good guy and he worked hard and he did all the right things and therefore God blessed his life. Nope, we're putting the cart in front of the horse. It is precisely because God has chosen to pour out his undeserved mercy and favor on Joseph, who was just a guy, just like all of us, just a human being. God chose to pour out his mercy and favor in such a way. You think in these kinds of situations, Joseph's just a good dude doing the right thing? Nope. There's more at work than that. The way the story is written, God is working in Joseph's life. 
to bring about good outcomes. And the truth is that's the same for all of us. Don't think for a minute that you're just a better human being than everybody else. You're not. If there is anything good in your life, it's because God is pouring out undeserved grace and mercy upon you. And that's really where the story, this particular story begins and where it also uh, leaves off before we get to our next section of the story. And that is the theme of the power of God's presence. The power of God's presence. Verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. And so he found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potter had, both in the house and in the field. Joseph has been swept up into a bigger story. You see, God has chosen to bless him in order to be a blessing to those around him. This is God's story from the very beginning, and it's the story that all of us have been swept up into. God has chosen us as his people to bless us in a way that we will pour that blessing out to others, that we would use our influence for good in the world. This is really the heart behind For Tulsa. And here's where it began in Genesis chapter 12. This is speaking about Joseph's family and eventually us as part of the greater family of God. God said to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The question is, are you going to be a person who uses your power and your influence and your authority to be a taker or to be a giver? a taker or a giver. As God's people, we were created to be givers. And the story of Joseph is about God working his grace into the life of a man to use him to be a blessing to others, to put him in a position of influence and leadership in order to serve, not to accomplish his own ends, his own selfish agenda, but to serve other people. And we need more of that in our world today. Amen? We need more of that. And so it's on us as the people of God to have this perspective that God has poured out grace and favor upon us and he has given us the opportunity to influence other people for good and not for evil. May we become that kind of people by the grace of God. We join me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are working grace into our lives and that you're a good God and that you are a powerful God, and that your plan cannot ultimately be stopped. But God, as we sit here this side of heaven, and we look at all the issues in the world, we pray, God, that you would pour out your grace upon us as a people in such a powerful way that we could be used by you to accomplish your good and your good plans, to be a blessing, God, and not to take from people, and to use what you've given us to abuse them, Lord, but we would seek their good. God, make us into these kind of people, people that are more like your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as you give us opportunity to do so, that we would seek the good of others, taking all that you've given to us and multiplying it and pouring it out for the sake of our family, the sake of our schools, the sake of our city, and the sake of our world. God, we love you and we trust in you in Jesus' name.